Good morning, church. Um, our scripture reading for this morning is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through to 9. So if you'll turn your Bibles with me um, to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through to 9. First Corinthians chapter one, sorry, chapter eight, verses one through to nine. Verse one. Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing. Yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. As concerning the Therefore, the eating of these things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is none other God but one. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as, as there be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we, and we in him but one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we are all things, and we by him. How be it, there is not in every man that knowledge, for some with con- conscience of the idol, unto this hour, eat it as a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. But meat commanded us not to God, for neither if we eat, are we the better? Neither if we eat not, are we the worse. But take heed, lest any man, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. Thank you. Romans chapter number 14. We took our scripture reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And that is a parallel passage to Romans chapter 14. It's as if the Apostle Paul thought this topic is so very important. He wrote about the very same thing to the church at Corinth, and he wrote about the very same thing to the church at Rome. We're returning back to our series in the book of Romans. It's a series that has now covered into its third year. We've been about three months away from the book of Romans, so as we return to the chapter 14, I'd like to just take a moment and remind you what this book is all about. Find the theme for Romans in Romans chapter 1 and verse number 16. I see the theme there. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's the way that it was presented, it doesn't mean that we have to take the gospel to Jews first and then to Gentiles, but that is the way in which the progression went. And here is the overall theme for the book of Romans, the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation. And so from chapter 1 until chapter 5, we have this unpacking of what is the gospel and how is it impacting our salvation. And we see things like we were separated from God in our sin. 
Friend, you were born into sin and you're separated from a holy God and you need Him to do the cleansing power, the part that I could never do. I can never reach up to God because I'm too far away. Instead, He sent Jesus to come and live a perfect and holy, sinless life. God became flesh. God took on a body in the form of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21 And He became sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. This is the Gospel. And it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. So friend, you don't have to work your way into salvation. No, He gave it and all you have to do is believe. That is the Gospel. And it's the power of God unto salvation. And he didn't stop. Paul didn't stop writing at verse 16, close the book and say, all right, guys, go home. He said, there's a verse 17 that follows. And Romans chapter 1 to chapter 5, unpack verse number 16. And chapter 6 to chapter 8, unpack verse 17. Verse 17 says, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For therein. Therein means something. It's not just a word that's in the book for some reason to fill up holes in the book. For therein. In what? In the gospel. That was verse 16. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And therein, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. That's your sanctification. Sanctification is a big word that just means... I'm progressively becoming more and more like Christ. I've put my trust in Jesus. The gospel saved me, and now the gospel changes me. The longer I'm a believer, the less I should be sinning. You'll never be sinless. Not in this life. That's saved for glorification. The day when either you die and go to be with, in the presence of Jesus forever, or he sends Jesus to come and get us in the rapture of the church. At that point, we become glorified. Never to sin again, to be with Jesus forever, even so come Lord Jesus. But between now and then, our sanctification, as I grow in Christ, I love Jesus more, I want the glory of God to be revealed more and more in my life, that's called sanctification. I hate sin more I'm doing sin less. That's my sanctification process. For therein, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed. His righteousness is coming out in my life. His righteousness is revealed from faith to faith. In other words, as my faith grows and I go from this stage in my life to the next stage in my life, the faith that I have is growing. I'm trusting His gospel more. You see, when I'm in Christ, I'm a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I'm being changed from faith to faith. And guess what's happening? The righteousness of God is being revealed in my life. Oh, the gospel is a glorious thing. So chapters 1 to 5 unpacked salvation. 6 to 8 unpacked sanctification. 9 to 11 might be seen as a step away but I think it's actually drilling down on the fact that God always keeps His promises. Chapter 9 to 11 is a number of examples where Scripture shows us that God always keeps His promises. And that's very important, by the way, because if you for one moment think that the gospel won't transform your life, you'll just step back and you'll give up. 
I need his gospel to be doing its transforming work in my life. Because by myself, I cannot do this. I need it. And if he can't keep his promises, then I can't hang on him. And I need him to keep his promises. And by the way, chapter 9 to 11 tells it again and again and again. Oh, he keeps his promises. Then we come into chapter 12. From chapter 12 until chapter 15 and verse number 7 is a number of examples that are given that the gospel should transform your life. Now, friend, please be careful. Don't skip 1 to 12 just so you can see how you're supposed to live. Because if you do that, you're just going to be trying to change the outside of your life. It does no good to take bad fruit off of a tree and sticky tape good, good fruit on. It doesn't work. You need to have a transformation that happens on the inside. The gospel does that. And so as I'm changed from the inside, I start having new ways that I act on the outside. That's called transformation. Romans chapter 12 and verse number 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So your life should be transformed. It should be showing out a different way of living. And chapter 12, 13, 14, and 15 verses 1 to 7 is going to unpack all those different ways that that should be happening in your life. There's going to be a number of things like you're going to be paying your taxes. Now, this is what I mean by be careful that you don't skip 1 to 11 and just go, okay, I pay my taxes and I'm right with God. No, that doesn't work. But if I'm transformed by the gospel, I'm not going to be cheating on my taxes. Or I, I'm going to have different ways that I live. In fact, when I'm with my brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm going to be looking for ways to edify the body. And so I'm going to encourage them. Perhaps I'm going to be a giver. Perhaps I'm going to be an encourager. Perhaps I'm going to be an administrator. I'm going to be looking for ways to encourage the body. I'm not going to be coming to the church body looking for the ways that they're going to encourage me. That came out in chapter 13. But again, be careful that you don't just jump to chapter 12 and chapter 13 and say things like, well, if I'm going to be right with God, then I need to live this way. No, 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 no. Be right with God, and the fruit of that will come out Chapters 12 to 15 give you a mirror by which you can gauge, am I living right and has the gospel transformed my life? If you're messing up and you look at the mirror of 12 to 15 and you see that there are problems in your life, take a moment to step back and see, do I need to get things taken care of back at Romans 6, 7, and 8? I know I'm a believer, but I just haven't grasped the hold of the idea that I'm in Christ and that I'm new in Him. Today we find ourselves in chapter 14. I'm going to do something rare today that I normally haven't done in the book of Romans. I'm going to cover a whole chapter. Now if you've been with us through this series, you know that sometimes I'll stop on one verse and we'll unpack a whole verse. I'm going to unpack all of Romans 14 today in one sermon. Now, I'm going to do it hopefully in a way that doesn't cause you to just miss it all. But Romans chapter 14 is one thought. The whole chapter is one thought. So I want to do my best to help us to see that one thought today. That one thought is overwhelmingly the gospel's impact on our Christian liberty. The gospel's impact on our Christian liberty. As I come into chapter 14, I'll just give you a little bit of historical background for the church, the early church, especially as seen in Rome. This has a lot to do with why Paul writes what he writes. Same problem showed up in Corinth. 
I'll give an example. Here you have, in the first century church, you have some believers who had a Jewish background. They grew up Jewish. That's their identity. That's who they are. I'm born a Jewish person. I grow up a Jewish person. I'm going to be a Jewish person until I die. There's a certain way that you live if you're a Jewish person. If you're holding on to that belief system, there's a really strict way you live. Six days of working, seventh day you rest. You count your steps on your seventh day. There are some animals that are clean and some that are unclean. And if you're going to follow that Jewish law, you won't eat the unclean. Yea, you won't even touch the unclean. Completely separated from the unclean animals. There are some days of the week that are important. There are certain days of the year that are important. You will observe the feast days. And there are a number of those all throughout the year. You'll be paying attention to those things. And when a Jewish person has that background and they come into the church, they can't help but bring their past in with them. Also in the first century church was a group of people, these would be Gentiles who were formerly idolatrous. These were idol worshipers who have now seen that Jesus has taken away their sin, that God is the one true God, and they have turned their backs on idols and they've come to worship God, and they're now in the church as well. You have very different backgrounds coming into the church, and oh, by the way, remember, they've been set free. Those Jewish believers, do you remember what happened with Peter in the book of Acts? That was Acts chapter 10. You remember what happened to Peter? I'll remind you. Peter was staying at Simon the Tanner's house. By the way, that in itself was countercultural for Jewish people because a tanner is a person who takes animal skins and makes them into leather. That by itself would have made that house unclean. So Peter's already taken that first step and he's staying with Simon the Tanner and then he's taking a nap, I think, in the... In the setting, perhaps it's mid-afternoon. I'm just guessing there. It's mid-afternoon, and maybe Simon's wife is cooking some food, and they've been taking a little bit long. And there's Peter. He's taking a nap, waiting, and the Lord appears to him in a dream. Shows him a vision. And in the vision, God lowers down a sheet. Now you're remembering it, right? And he lowers down the sheet, held up by four corners, and inside of the sheet were all kinds of animals. And God says to Peter... Rise, kill, and eat. And do you remember what Peter's words were? Nay, Lord, I, my lips have never touched an unclean animal. He's, hold, you, you see, he's a believer. He's an apostle. And yet, he's still holding on to those old ways. It's the way he's grown up. In fact, it becomes such a big deal, God tells him, what I call clean, don't you dare call unclean. And Peter ends up arguing with the Lord, and three times God has to tell him, eat that pig. And finally, when he figures it out, he's like, oh, wait, God, you're in control of everything. Okay, I guess I can have bacon. And all of God's people said, amen. (laughs) On the other side, you had the Gentiles who used to be idol worshipers, and I think of Paul's words, and this is in our scripture reading from this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse number 1, or sorry, verse number 4, Paul made this statement, as concerning therefore the eating of those things which were offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and there is none other God but one. 
So Paul points out the fact that the idol is made by man, can be destroyed by man, and you can feed it all you want, but it will never eat. That idol is, these are Paul's words, that idol is a nothing. And yet you have Gentile believers who have come to Christ and they used to worship those idols and now they think of those idols as, yeah, I don't trust that anymore, but I also don't want to have anything to do with that anymore. You see, there's a a pull, a tug, there's a tension. And within the church, now you're going to start seeing people having all kinds of views as they come to this. One more cultural, historical item I want to point out. In the Roman society, one-third of the population was slaves. One-third. That's a lot of slaves. Those people were the poorest of the poor, and for them to be able to afford meat, protein, a big deal. And all of God's people said as we look at chicken prices, amen. In the market, if you had money, you would go to the butcher and you would get yourself a leg of a lamb or you would get a slice of that cow. But if you had no money, they had a way for the poorer people to be able to get meat in that society. And the way that would work is the idol temples would receive offerings to their idols, and then they would take those that food, and they would go and sell it in the market at a discount. Now you think that through, let's say perhaps someone goes and gets the leg of a goat, and they bring it to the idol temple, and this would be a, a, a lost heathen person, doesn't know the Lord, they get this leg of a goat and they go to worship the idol and they leave the goat's leg there and the idol sits there like, these are the words of the psalmist, a dumb idol. He has ears that don't hear, eyes that don't see, a mouth that doesn't taste and there that idol sits and the leg of the goat sits there. After some time, the priests from the idol temple would take that goat leg What are they going to do with it now? It's just going to rot. And they would take that along with the other offerings and they would take it to the market and they would sell it. But hang on, the people that are thinking would say, that's used meat. You can't sell that for a full price. It's already been used. I might say, and the Apostle Paul says, that's not fresh meat. It's been sitting in front of a piece of stone for a couple of hours. And some of those Gentile believers would say things like, it was offered to an idol, and if I buy it, some of the money that's going to go to purchase that goat leg is now going to go and support the work of the idol temple. And a believer would not have a clear conscience to buy that goat leg. However, the Apostle Paul comes along and he says, an idol is a nothing. And I get the chance to save some money and eat some goat leg. That idol is a nothing, therefore I can buy that idol and I can eat that, uh, I can buy that goat leg and I can eat that goat leg and I don't care what they do with the money because probably the butcher who is selling the cow at high price is probably going to give some of his money to the idol temple too. So I don't care where that money goes. All I care about is saving money. 
And that's coming from the Apostle Paul. So you have two very different views. Now here's what we're doing when we come into Romans 14. We're handling issues that are within, we'll say, Christian liberty. These are not issues of sin. These are not issues of the gospel. We're not talking about if you're wrong on this, you're going to go to hell. We're talking about if you're wrong on this, this isn't a matter of conscience. One good believer with one conscience can come with one idea, and another believer with a different belief on conscience comes with a different idea, and it's okay. There's a number of them in Romans 14 that he speaks about, and I'm going to ask you this morning as believers, sometimes we have to set aside what we've been taught, and we come to the scriptures, and we read the scriptures, and we learn from the scriptures. And so let's take a moment, I see four of them very clearly. These are items that could be divisive within the body that shouldn't be divisive. Let's have a look at them. The first one's in verses 1 and 2, that's meat. Look at Romans chapter 14, verse number 1. Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. So the issue here is meat. It could be meat that's been offered to idols. It could be also clean versus unclean. I want to be careful here, though, because if the matter of eating the meat has to do with your salvation, Paul is very clear on that. We'll talk about that in a few minutes, but stood Peter to the face over not eating unclean meat. That ends up being another matter entirely. But in this moment, we're seeing it could be clean versus unclean. Former Jewish person, I don't know if I, I don't know if I should eat that. I just don't have a clear conscience. I know I'm saved. I know that Jesus' blood is the one that washed away my sins, but I don't know whether I should eat this. There's a battle going on in his heart. That's a conscience issue. This meat has been offered in the, in, in the temple. Now it's being sold. I don't know if I should eat that. Am I participating in idol worship? I don't know. And so we see there's a, it could be a divisive issue. It could be very divisive. As Paul says, eat. And the Gentile says, I don't want to participate. These two very different opposing views, and yet he has the spiritual liberty He has the spiritual liberty. What do you do with that? Verses 5 and 6, I see the second one is listed. Verse 5. One man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord. For he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord he eateth not and giveth thanks. So one Christian brother thinks that the feast days are important and another Christian brother forgot there even was a feast day. That would be very common for the Gentiles. They didn't grow up hearing about feast days. They would totally miss the feast days. But could you imagine if on one hand you have a Jewish believer who comes and says, oh, may the Lord bless you in the Feast of Tabernacles tomorrow. The Gentile guy says, I don't even know what you're talking about. Am I supposed, should I have taken the day off from work? I don't know. 
And there was nothing in the New Testament church that ever said you had to observe the Feast of Tabernacles. And yet here's a Jewish man that's still doing it. And there's nothing wrong with it as long as he doesn't think that has to do with his salvation. Third one is seen down in verse 21. It is, neither, it is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine. And wine is listed here, and I, I'd include that as any alcoholic drink. And I will just speak openly here. One Christian may drink a glass of wine and another Christian say, oh, that would be sinful for me to do. Two very opposing views, and I have many times spoken to you about my own personal view on alcohol. I am a teetotaler because the book of Proverbs says, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. I want to fall into wise category. I've seen what alcohol has done to people. But I'm going to be very honest. The scripture does not say thou shalt not drink a glass of wine. It does say very clearly thou shalt not be drunken. And so one believer would drink wine and another believer would not. And the passage of Romans chapter 14 says there needs to be some leeway given within Christian love. That may take you as surprising. Please don't walk out of here today and go drink wine if you have not been fully persuaded in your mind. Verse number 21, further on, uh, this one really kind of opens up the can of worms. Verse 21, it is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth. So the fourth one, we had meat, days, wine, and now anything. That got really big. <laughs> Anything that will cause your brother to stumble. I mentioned this several weeks ago. Now Heineken has the 0.0. As far as I can tell, perfectly fine to drink has zero alcohol in it, and you could drink 100 of them and never get drunk. You will have to go to the bathroom a lot. But 0.0. And why is it that I would not drink 0.0? Because you won't see the 0.0. You'll just see the green bottle. And I don't want to do something that would cause you to stumble. And that's exactly what the words of verse 21 is. Anything that would cause you to stumble. So let me just pause in the passage. I'm just going to pause and just kind of bring that home to us. Because there are a lot of things that in our current culture could cause another one to stumble. Vaccinations. There are some good Christian people who would take vaccinations. I did. And there are some good Christian people who with a conscience could say, I will not take the vaccination. And those two Christian brothers are very quickly going to find themselves on opposite sides of an argument, whereas if they were acting like they were transformed by the gospel, there should be no argument. Hear the words of 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 1. Something to the effect, we... We know when we talk about meat offered to idols, Paul says, knowledge puffeth up. Well, I know my view. I know it very well. And you know what happens? Knowledge puffs up. And we miss the second part of that verse. 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 1, the last part, it says knowledge puffs up, but charity edifieth. My goal as a believer 
in a church with a body of believers, my goal is not for me to push my knowledge. My goal is to use charity and edify. I'm, my goal is to build you up, not for you to see how much I know. Not for me to force my view upon you, but instead for me to encourage you to be strengthened. Paul writes all of Romans chapter 14 about this. In 1 Corinthians, he does it all of chapter 8, chapter 9, and chapter 10. This is a pretty big deal. Knowledge puffs up, but charity edifieth. Another one, this hits kind of home for our current cultural setting. How about women wearing trousers? There are some godly people who would say a woman should never wear trousers. And there are some godly people who would say it's perfectly fine for women to wear trousers. And I think you know which side I fall on. I think you already know that. And some who would say, well, Deuteronomy 22.5 says that you should not wear, a woman should not wear what pertains to a man, and then also a man should not wear what pertains to a woman. That verse is speaking about the LBGTQ community. Cross-dressing. That's what it's talking about. Because if you're going to take that verse and say, oh, it do, a woman should not wear trousers, well, let's take the same verse and go to the men's side. Well, the men should not have a sulu. You look him up. Be careful. Be careful about trying to use. But here's the point. If a believer with his full conscience or her full conscience says a woman should not wear trousers, the one who has the liberty and says, I can, should not impose their view upon the other. This one has no right to impose it upon this one. This one has no right because knowledge puffs up and charity edifies. My goal in all of my Christian life is not for me to push you down and tell you how you're supposed to be. Instead, I'm going to ask you to live according to the conscience that God has given you. And I'm going to ask you to help me. Perhaps maybe I need to see it your way better. Music styles in church, it's a Romans 14 issue. Some would say, oh, I only want to hear contemporary Christian music. And some would say, no, it has to be the old traditional hymns. I just think of all those poor people that were in the 1800s that didn't quite have the traditional hymns yet. Those poor people, what did they do for songs? And on one side, you've got music that has lights that are pumping and fog and all that stuff. And on the other extreme, I saw this with my own eyes a few years ago. I went to Metropolitan Temple uh, Tabernacle in London. That's the church that Charles Spurgeon preached at. That was his church that he preached at his whole career. And now the church continues on with hundreds of attendees. I was so excited to go. They've had a history of rich theology preached in their, in their pulpit. I was so excited about it. And I was so disappointed by their music. You can see it. Just go Metropolitan Tabernacle London. You can YouTube it and watch their song services. Their song services are drier than biscuit juice. It is... I tried to follow along. I'd never heard any of those songs before. And I'm not saying it to bash them. If that's the way they want to sing within Romans chapter 14, Liberty, they can sing that way. And probably they edify one another when they do it. And I'm so glad for them. But nobody in our 
has the right to tell another church how they should sing, and nobody in another church has the right to tell our church how we should sing. And we, within our own body, should be edifying one another. Sing, brother, sing. And when it's the song you like, sing it. And when it's not the song you like, sing it. Because the one that's sitting next to you probably does like it. Oh, there's a leeway that's given within spiritual liberty. Brothers and sisters, we're not called to push each other down. We're called to edify. Can I go one more? Beetle nut. The scripture says nothing about buai. I've been very careful in our seven years as a church to not smack it in the face. I will say this. You'll notice that I don't chew, and it's not just because I'm a white guy. Because I do a lot of things to try to assimilate into culture. But I have learned this, and maybe this can be a help to you. I have learned that people who have clean appearance are usually taken more seriously by people who are influential. So if you want to be taken seriously, having a clean face and clean mouth will go a long ways in your life. And yet, with a clear conscience, I cannot tell you chewing betel nut is sin. The medical community speaks out against it, says that it's not healthy for you, and if that's where you're at, you will not find me saying, oh, I'm praying for you that you will give up this sin. No, that's between you and the Lord. I want you to have a clear conscience. If you give it up just because another brother said it's sin, someone else is forcing their conscience upon you. And so I cannot with a clear conscience say that. I come to Romans 14 and I say, I want you to be fully persuaded in your own mind. Allow the gospel to do its work in your heart and at the same time allow the gospel to do its work in my heart. I have to be very careful about saying that one is sin if the scripture doesn't. You see, we don't say what the scripture doesn't say. Where the scripture speaks, we speak. And where the scripture is silent, we're silent. Romans 14 issues. And so how do we take these things and then apply them to our lives? There's a major principle that flows throughout chapter 14. That major principle is the gospel transforms your life and it changes how you react to other people. Because there will be people who think differently than you. As I look back on my own life, I think differently than I have in years past. That's okay. Again, we're not talking about sin issues. When the scripture says, thou shalt not steal, we don't stand by on the side and say, well, you've not been fully persuaded in your own mind. No, the scriptures were very clear, thou shalt not steal. Where the scripture says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, we don't stand off on the side and say, well, it's okay, if you just take the Eucharist, then you'll be all right. We don't stand off on the side and say, well, you just get baptized and you'll be fine with God. That's not the scriptures. So where the scripture speaks, we speak. And on these items, we have to give liberty. So I see three very clear in the passage. We're going to read down through three very clear things that we are to not do and three that we are to do. If you know me, you'll know I'm going to rush through these. Three don'ts. Don't. First, don't despise one another. Verse 3. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him that eateth not judge him that eateth. 
For God has received him. Who art thou that judges another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth, yea, he shall be holden up. For God is able to make him stand. So don't despise one another. The word despise means I think of you as a nothing. I have my opinion and my knowledge puffs me up and I'm going to despise you because you think differently and I don't even think you're worth listening to and I'm going to despise you. Don't do that. Don't despise one another. Listen to them. Care about them. In verse 4 he said, are, are you his owner? Who are you? You ever hear that phrase? Somebody said, who are you? You say Look at verse 4 as he says it. Who art thou that judges another man's servant? That other Christian is not your servant. Who are you to judge him? He's God's servant. God should be the one that's judging him. Again, not a matter of the gospel. Not a matter of sin. We're talking about matters of conscience that are not spoken of in Scripture. And so what do we do with it? I allow that brother the freedom to be led by his master, the Lord Jesus. I have to give him the freedom. So as I think of this idea, don't despise one another, I think of a couple of thoughts. One is you individually, you belong to the Lord. So you are not in the place of the master judging down. Instead, you are in the place of the servant serving upward. Be concerned about your relationship with the Lord, not with his relationship, either with the Lord or with yourself, on a Romans 14 issue. Another thing that you need to remember is that you live to the Lord. See it in verses 7 and 8. Verse 7, none of us liveth to himself and none of us dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. You're living for the Lord, so don't worry about his living for the Lord. You live right before God, and you have a clear conscience. Also, you will answer to the Lord, verses 9 to 12. You will answer to the Lord, verse 9. For to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be the Lord, both of the dead and the living. Before I read verse 10, let me just hit the grammar of verse 9. For this reason, Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. What was the reason? That he might be the Lord of the dead and the living. He's not just the Lord of those who have gone on before to be with him. He's the Lord of those who are currently still here and living. That includes you, and it includes your Christian brother. Verse 10. But why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You will give an account of yourself. You're not going to give account of your brother. And therein lies the danger, friend. The danger is, I see this issue this way, and he sees the issue this way, and I try to persuade him, and he tries to persuade me. We get a division of unity between us, and I never have to answer to God for him. I have to answer to God for me. I need to be fully persuaded in my own conscience on the topic. For him, he needs to be fully persuaded, and he will answer to God. But I'm not responsible for him. Matters of sin, yes. Absolutely. If my brother is in a sin, 
It's my responsibility to come to him and help him out of it. But this is not matters of sin. This is Romans 14 issues that are not clearly sin in Scripture. So I need to give him the leeway and remember I need to give an answer to God for myself. And so if his view is, and I'll use liberal conservative, if his view is a little bit more liberal than mine, I don't get to just take his view because he's got that view. Because I still have to answer to God. And for those of you that are familiar with Romans chapter 14, I found it interesting as I studied Romans 14 this week. He uses the term weaker brother in verses 1 and 2. He departs from that language in verse 3 and never returns to it. He used the term weaker brother in that the one brother was weaker in his faith, having to do with meat offered to idols, and then for the rest of the next 21 verses, he never says who the stronger brother is and who the weaker brother is. He just says, the other brother. He does the same thing in 2 Corinthians 8, or 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10. He uses the terms weaker brother in verses 1, 2, and 3, and he departs from that language never to return for, to it again through chapters 8, 9, and 10. I think that's worth us noticing because a lot of times on Romans 14 issues, we always want to be the stronger brother. Nobody wants to be called a weaker brother. And so as we try to find our footing in the space of, I'm the stronger brother, suddenly we look down on our other brother. And friend, it doesn't matter where you find yourself on any of these or anything kind of topic, you never will argue your point from weaker brother. You will always argue it from stronger brother. Allow us to look at one another and say, I have to answer to God for this issue. The second thing that I see, don't do, don't be a stumbling block one to another. That's in verse 13. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore but judge this rather. So instead of putting the onus on the other, instead I'm going to bring it back to myself, rather that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Paul's clear in this place in Scripture and in multiple other places of Scripture that God has given you a conscience and you are to honor that conscience. And even if you have the liberty and you see within your conscience, I have the liberty to eat this meat, use this one's example, I can eat this meat and I have the liberty to do it, I also need to take into account how the other brother might see this. Am I going to offend them by doing this? That's something that you need to consider. In fact, if you're thinking in terms of Romans 12, 13, and 14, you're going to remember Romans 13 and verse 8. On my Bible, it's just across the page. Romans 13, 8, owe no man anything but to love one another. So if I love you, I'm going to set aside my own personal preferences for your sake. Because charity edifies. Look here at verse 14. I should never use my liberty and cause you to backslide from the Lord. Verse 14, I know and I'm persuaded by the Lord Jesus there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. So I'm not going to try to pull you off to the side and flaunt my liberty and show you how free I am in Christ or how much you should be tightening your own lifestyle. 
No, I'm going to be focusing on showing love to you and making sure that whatever I do doesn't cause you to stumble because I care about you. You see, I'm not going to despise you. I'm not going to put you down. And instead, I'm not going to cause you to stumble either. I'm going to lift you up. The third one is in verses 15 to 18. Verse 15. Don't destroy each other in the work of God. Here's verse 15. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Don't use your liberty to destroy a Christian brother. Verse 16, let not then your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. So don't destroy your Christian brother, and by doing that, don't destroy the work of Christ. You see, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. These Romans 14 issues are little things. They are not worth pushing to the top and arguing over. Let them go, he says. If it means, give it up yourself. And you're not giving it up so that he can win the argument. You're doing it because you love that brother, you love that sister so much that you would rather not let this thing get in the way. You care about them. So I think we as brothers and sisters should stop with language that says things like, well, I have this freedom. Just stop with it. I have this freedom. Your freedom is causing problems to brothers and sisters in Christ. So be ready to put it aside. And stop with the, I don't understand, we need to live this way. One side can be seen as being legalistic, and the other side can be seen as using liberty for license. Both sides, in their attempt to hold their own ground, end up offending one another and splitting the unity within the body. So with don'ts, we also get do's. So there are three do's that I see in the passage. I'll point them out quickly. First, verse number one, do receive one another. Do receive one another. Look at verse one. Him that is weak in the faith receive you. Receive him. That's because there should have been a change in your life. The gospel should have changed who you are. So instead, when you see that his view is different from yours or her view is different from yours, instead of pushing them away, receive them. I'll give you a silly example. Before you were saved, and I, you don't, I know you don't do this now. You're a believer. You're a Christian. You don't act this way. But before you were saved, perhaps you were a fan of the Blues or of the Maroons. Or the Broncos, or the Eels, or you fill in the blank. And whenever your team did really well, you cheered, and you got in people's face, and you were like, look at my team. And by the way, don't feel too bad about it. The American football is in the playoffs, and my team is still going, and I'm very excited about it. And yet... In your old, way, old man ways, when the, if you were a Maroons fan, I'll forgive you, but when you were a Maroons fan and your team didn't do so well, you would throw things. You'd break the TV. If you saw somebody painted with Blue's face, you'd punch him in the face. Those are your old man ways, right? Is the Blue's fan sinning? No. Is the Maroons fan sinning? No, 
And here, as believers, is the one who's eating meat, is he sinning? No. Is the one that's not eating meat, is he sinning? No. So he's your Christian brother. Receive him. It doesn't matter, in the, to use the sporting analogy, it doesn't matter whether he's got blue paint or maroon paint. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, he's still your brother. And here as brothers and sisters in Christ, as one lady wears trousers and another one wears a Mary blouse, the two of them can still go and have a cup of coffee together and enjoy fellowship with Christ. And the one can talk to the other one and the other one can talk to the one just as if there was no difference among them. And the one brother, hear me out, can have a glass of wine at the table at the same time as the other one doesn't. I'm only following what Romans 14 says, guys, and I won't be the one having the glass of wine. But they can get along just as fine. It's not leading to drunkenness. There's not sin involved. The one brother can be chewing PK while the other one's chewing Buatau. And they get along just fine. And they pray together, and they love one another, and they care about one another. That's what it should look like. Now, again, not gospel issues. Not gospel issues. You see in verse 1, him that is weak in the faith. So, if he's a believer, now we're talking. He's not a believer, we're not talking. Now, you should be talking to unbelievers, but he's not saying, oh, well, you have your Muslim friend, and he has his belief, and you have your belief, and you just don't talk to him about that because you want to let him be fully persuaded in his mind. No, friend, you're going to just let him continue down the path to destruction. Tell him about Jesus, because his soul depends on it. But he is this weak in the faith. In the faith, receive him. Do, do receive him. Do edify one another. I see that in verse number 19. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. For meat, destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. So remember, we're not talking about minor issues here. We're not, we are talking about minor issues. We're not talking about major issues like the gospel like sin. We're talking about minor issues here. And seek peace. In my Bible, I have circled in verse 17 and verse 19 the word peace. And I have a line between them. Hear them together. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. The same, very same Holy Ghost that's indwelling you, brother, is the same Holy Ghost that's indwelling your Christian brother. And he's bringing forth righteousness. You're living holy. And there's joy and there's peace coming out. And now verse 19. Let us therefore follow after things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. We're looking to build each other up. And number three. Do look for ways to serve one another. I'll read verses 21 down to 23. 21. It's good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Don't flaunt it and cause trouble. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that which he alloweth. 
And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So look for ways to serve the other brother. Do you have a clear conscience? Eat the meat. If you can eat the meat with a clear conscience before God, and you know this is not going to cause me to stumble and fall into sin, and it's not going to cause another person to stumble and fall into sin, eat the meat. And speak bluntly. You cannot drink fire water in clear conscience. Young people, I want you to hear me again. You cannot drink fire water with a clear conscience. You are searing your conscience if you go down that road. It's not the same thing as wine as spoken in verse 21. You cannot with a clear conscience. A clear conscience? I have liberty in Christ. Friend, if you're not walking with Christ, you don't know what liberty is. So you have a clear conscience? Eat the meat. You don't have a clear conscience. Hear these words. If you don't have a clear conscience, don't touch it. Listen to the words of verse 23 again. He that doubteth is damned, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. When Paul said, an idol is nothing, he had Bible for that. Book of Psalms. An idol has eyes that see not, and ears that hear not, and a mouth that tastes not. Paul had Bible for that. He said, an idol is nothing, therefore can I eat. But he also said, because I care about my brothers and sisters in Christ, I won't eat. He said it in 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians chapter 8. He said, if eating causes my brother to stumble, for the rest of my life I won't eat meat. He's not calling us to be vegetarians. He's calling us to care about what other people see in our lives. And so I should care enough about my brothers and sisters to let go of my liberty, if so be the need. So if you have a clear conscience, eat. And let your brother abstain. You don't have to force your ideas upon him. And if you don't have a full clear conscience, it's okay. Don't eat. It would be worse for you to eat and offend your conscience. So don't push yourself on the other brother. That's the way that the old man acts. The old man says, I know this, so I'm going to teach it to you. The new man says, I know this, but I love you too much to try to force you into my way of thinking. I'm going to close with a thought. I read this about two years ago, and as I studied this passage, I couldn't help but have this quote just ring in my head. Ray Ortland is an old man that pastors in Tennessee, and he wrote this in an article probably two, two and a half years ago. He wrote these words, and I'll share it with you. He said this, gospel plus safety plus time equals a church where anyone can grow. Gospel plus safety plus time equals a church where anyone can grow. You've got to have gospel. Without the gospel, we have no faith. We have no salvation. We have no work of God in our lives. We have no sanctification. I need the gospel. 
I need to recognize Jesus went to the cross and took my sin. And then I need, within the church, I need safety. And here's what I mean by I need safety. I need safety to be able to share with my Christian brothers, those who are closest to me, and share with them and tell them, brother, I'm struggling in sin in my life. Because if we're honest, we come to church a lot and we try to put on a good face and yeah, I'm doing wonderful before God. And you're not growing. You see, you want to be growing in this body. And so there needs to be safety as one sister talks with another sister and says, I'm struggling in this sin. Would you hold me accountable and would you pray with me? And would you provide some kind of counsel? Can you help me to grow in this? There needs to be safety. For if I come to another brother and I share, this is some of my deepest, darkest secrets and I need help and accountability in this area. If I share that and they condemn me, there's no growth going to happen in my life. And so I need the gospel and I need safety. And then, brothers, can I use the word cautiously that Paul used at the beginning of Romans chapter 14? Stronger brothers. You need time. Because some Christians get saved and there's an overnight change in their life in some areas. But in some areas, it's taken time to work through. And you've got to give them time. The gospel plus safety plus time becomes a church where any one of us can grow. And so in Romans 14 issues, remember that God's still working in their life. And remember, He's still working on you too. Father, I pray that you would help us to take these principles, the three don'ts, the three do's, help us to esteem our brothers and sisters better than ourselves. Lord, how how tempting it is for me to take my knowledge and just to be puffed up with it. But instead, Lord, I pray that I would turn from my knowledge and elevating myself to instead charity and edifying my brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, I thank you for your grace in our lives, and I pray that you would bless and give us wisdom as we walk through some of these topics that could be just so detrimental to our relationships with our friends. On those items that are gospel, and those items where Scripture has clearly spoken, Lord, I pray that we would be faithful to the Word of God. We wouldn't alter, and yet instead, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters that we would grow and we would give gospel safety time to one another and that we would grow together. Lord, thank you for your goodness upon us.